So have you ever had a double-double? Now, in basketball, a double-double is when you have double digits in one of five categories. Points, rebounds, assists, steals, or block shots, okay? Double-double is when you have more than two digits in any of those five categories, in at least two of those categories. That's basketball. Or in the world of fast food, there's a couple of different kind of double-doubles you can have. Uh, The first double-double involves the restaurant Tim Hortons. You can go to Tim Horton restaurant and you can order your coffee as a double-double, which means you get double cream and and double sugar. Now, I've never been to a Tim Hortons. I've heard that they're somewhat known for their donuts. The closest Tim Hortons to us is six hours and 45 minutes. I'm up for a road trip. If anybody is interested, we can plan it, you know, this week sometime. Just thought I'd throw that out there. The second fast food restaurant in our call of double-doubles is In-N-Out Burgers. Uh, Undoubtedly, if you go to an In-N-Out Burger, there is a double-double you can get, which is double meat and double cheese. Now, I've never been to an In-N-Out Burger. The closest one to us is 15 hours and 35 minutes away. I'm totally up for a road trip. If anybody's interested, just thought I'd, I'd throw that out there. And, and we can maybe get an In-N-Out burger. In math, a double-double is a technique in floating-point arithmetic and numerical analysis for attaining quadruple precision by combining pairs of double-precision quantities. Now, I've never been to a mathnasium before. I've heard they're really good at helping people with math. The closest one to us is 18 minutes away. But I'm kind of terrified of floating point arithmetic, so I'm really not interested in taking a road trip to Mathnasium with you. It's also my understanding there would be no math in this sermon, so we are going to move along. Maybe you've got some mad skills on the basketball court. Maybe you have been to a Tim Hortons or you have been to an In-N-Out and you've had one of those double-doubles. Maybe you are fantastic at floating point arithmetic, and and you've been a part of all those double-doubles that I just mentioned. But there is another kind of double-double that you can have in your life. It's something that does more than, than add to the statistics on the back of your trading card. It's something more than just making sure you get a good cup of joe. It's a double-double that has a significant impact on your heart and your mind and your soul. Matter of fact, it's the kind of double-double that impacts how you get things in life, how you deal with things in life, how you survive things in life, and how you enjoy things in life. So that sounds like kind of a big deal, double-double. So what is it? Well, let's see if we can find out this morning. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. David was already getting the senior discount at Tim Hortons when he wrote this. He had been on the earth for six decades. He had experienced a lot of things in his life. He had learned a lot of things. And what was most important that he had learned, he decided to write down for folks like me and like you. And what he had discovered was he learned the best way to do life is to take all of your thoughts and all of your plans and all of your attitudes and all of your actions and all of your responses and all of your reactions 
take all of those things and to commit them to the one true God of the universe. The word he uses for commit here means to roll. Now, this isn't the kind of roll where you have a lot of things coming at you and you just decide to roll with it. You know, this isn't like being at the steakhouse and you get a roll with it. This is also, you know, not like something where, you know, it's Sunday morning and you're gathering the family and you grab the keys and you go, hey, come on, let's, let's roll. Now, this is a different kind of roll that he's referring to here. It means to roll something onto someone or something. The idea is that if you have some kind of conflict, some kind of problem, some kind of burden, some kind of stress or strain, some kind of fear or worry, some kind of anger, that you would roll those things away from your heart and away from your mind, and you would roll them onto the Lord. Now, that probably isn't helpful for any of us, right? Because we never have any burdens or problems or conflicts or stresses or strains or fears or worries or angers, right? That, that stuff doesn't impact us. No, it does, all day long. Peter was writing a letter to some Christians who were living in the modern-day area in the Middle East known as Turkey. These folks were, were not fitting in with their culture around them because they were following Jesus, because they were believing in the gospel. And so they didn't fit in, and because they didn't fit in, they were starting to suffer. All kinds of different sufferings and persecutions. And so Peter wanted to write to them and to encourage them. He wanted to help them out. And this is what he wrote to them. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Have you ever felt like the weight of the world was on your shoulders? Have you ever felt like everything was just completely falling apart? Do you feel like that this morning? Is that the, the season of life that you're in today? Peter, more than likely at church or school, had read Psalm 37 before. He had heard David's advice, and then he realized, oh, David's advice, man, it's legit. And it, it actually is real. He knew, he had understood, he had found out in his life that, yeah, you really do need to cast everything on the Lord. You really do need to roll everything to the Lord. You really do need to commit your way to the Lord. In fact, when it comes to your soul, and I would just say this, when it comes to your sanity, there is no better way to do daily life than to roll your burdens and to roll your problems and to roll your conflict to roll your fear, to roll your worry, to roll your anger, to roll your bitterness, to roll your depression, to roll your anxieties, to roll those things on the Lord, to commit those things to the Lord, to cast those things on the Lord. Jesus was talking to his closest friends one day, and this is what he said to them. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed and happy and satisfied are the meek. Now, we said this before, meek sounds weak, but it's not. Being meek is, is strength under control. The truest, strongest people on the planet, they are meek. 
John Piper describes it this way. Meekness begins when we put our trust in God. Then, because we trust Him, we commit our way to Him. We roll on to Him our anxieties, our frustrations, our plans, our relationships, our jobs, our health. That's what it means to, to be meek. We take everything and we roll it onto the Lord. And then he says this, after we roll things onto the Lord, what do we do? And then we wait patiently for the Lord. Super easy to do, right? We're going to wait patiently. No, super hard. And then we wait patiently for the Lord. We trust his timing and his power and his grace to work things out in the best way for his glory and for our good. His glory and for our good. That math works. It doesn't work in our minds sometimes, but God's glory is for our good. And so how do we do that? How do we cast our anxieties on God? How do we roll everything onto the Lord? How do we commit our way to the Lord? How do we make that commitment? Well, this is going to be an oversimplified way of answering that question, but I need it to be oversimplified or I'm not going to understand. So I think I've shared with you all before that, that my wife does not like snakes. I mean, I'm not a big fan either, but, you know, she, she really doesn't like snakes. And so if a snake comes up on TV, you know, if we're watching TV, she'll do one of two things. There's usually a little shriek, and, you know, and then, and then a changing of the channel or a covering of the eyes, like, like really ha- fast. I mean, this happens super fast. Now, why does she do that? Well, basically what she's doing is she's casting her eyes. She's rolling her eyes. She's committing her eyes away from the snake, <laughs> you know. That, that snake is, is bothering her heart and her mind and, and really her skin. You know, it's bothering her. It's giving her the, the willies, so to speak. And so, in a sense, committing your way to the Lord is changing the channel of your mind and your heart and your soul. It's in that moment, rolling whatever it is away from your mind and heart and your soul and trusting and committing yourself to the Lord. Now, committing your way to the Lord, changing the channel of your mind, that doesn't mean suddenly everything gets good, you know. Doesn't make everything in life all all fluffy and nice. But what it does do is it helps us to realize that the willies don't have to paralyze us. That we don't have to be paralyzed by our burdens and our problems and our conflicts and our stresses and our strains and our anger. But you know what? We are in that moment, right? That's why I say it. Because we're paralyzed. Boy, we're paralyzed with bitterness. We're paralyzed with anger. We're paralyzed with fear. We're paralyzed with worry. King David had moments like that too. But that's why he's writing when he's writing. He's, he's trying to, to get us to see that we, we don't have to stay there, that those things don't have to paralyze us. David says we should roll everything on to the Lord. Why? I mean, what qualifies him? This is the message that came to John, Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I was born on May 26, 1972, at University Hospital in Augusta, Georgia. Nine months before that moment, I was fearfully and wonderfully created by the one true holy God. 
Before all of that happened, though, I did not exist. I was not. I had a starting point. I have an existing point today, and one day I'll have an ending point, at least on this earth. Those things never apply to God. God was before I was. God was before you was. I know that's not good grammar, but you know. God was before anyone ever was. See, that's who he is. That's his character. He didn't have a starting point. He's the alpha. He's the first in the sense that everything in the universe has its beginnings and its purpose in him. He's the omega. He's the, the last in the sense that everything in the universe has its ending and its final ultimate purpose in him. There's no one like him. Look, if you need a, a good poster or a good announcement graphic, if you need a, a little word of encouragement, a little cheerlead every now and then, if you need somebody to go on a road trip to buy a donut, I'm your guy, all right? I'm here for you. But do not roll your life onto me. I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. God, though, the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts, the one who was and is and is to come, he's qualified. He's infinitely qualified for all of our burdens and all of our problems, all of our fears and our worries and our stresses and our strains and our anger and our bitterness and our depression. He says, roll it to me. And David says, do it. (laughs) David says, I've learned that's what you have to do. If you're going to keep your sanity, that's what you have to do. You may have heard the story of the, the little boy that used to go to the country store with his mom. The owner of the country store, every time that they came to buy things, the owner would tell the little boy, hey, why don't you dip your hand down in there in the, in the candy jar and, and get you a handful of candy, and I'll put it in a bag, and, and you can take that home with you. And the little boy was always just kind of like real slow and real slow, and he, he would never do it. He'd never reach up there and, and get the candy. He'd always wait until the owner said, okay, I'll do it for you. One day they were leaving, and his mom said, well, sweetie, how how is it that you never just put your hand in the jar and go ahead and get the candy yourself? And he said, mom, his hands are bigger. Listen, I'll confess for all of us, there's days we don't feel it. And there's days we don't believe it. And maybe you've never believed it. But today, we want to proclaim to you boldly and graciously, emphatically and triumphantly. And we want to proclaim to you on the authority of the Bible and on the authority and the authenticity of billions of people who have followed before us that God is bigger, and his hands are bigger, and he's better, and he's holy, 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 and he's awesome, 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 and he is full of power and full of majesty and full of grace and full of mercy and full of love, and for at least the last 6,000 years, he's been proving himself over and over and over again to those who have believed in him that you can commit your way to him 
and you will not be a fool for doing so. David says, commit your way to the Lord. Just roll those things onto him. But it's not just rolling. Look what he says next. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. All right, here's our double-double, okay? Here's, here's our spiritual double-double, so to speak. Here's, here's two things that we're called to. The double-double that, that impacts how you get things, how you deal with things, how you survive things, how you enjoy things in life. This, this is that double-double. Commit and trust. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. A few weeks ago, we looked kind of in detail about what it means to trust the Lord, but, but I want to kind of take that and, and kind of strategically connect it to what it means to commit to the Lord. James was the half-brother of Jesus. This is what he wrote about the way we talk to God. James 1, verse 6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Think about how we pray. Sometimes we pray with doubt. And sometimes we won't pray because we have doubt. And sometimes we're not sure that our prayers are even being heard because we have doubt that's connected to sin in our lives. Or we have doubt that's connected to things that we've done wrong in the past. Or we have doubt because we feel like, well, I've asked God too many times for that. Or we have doubt because we think, well, I just can't get anything right. But at the end of the day, when you peel away the layers behind of that, those are excuses wrapped up with pride and disbelief. And as believers, what we have to do is we have to fight through that pride. We have to fight through that disbelief. We have to fight through that doubt. We have to see and know that our God is there on yonder throne, but our God is there for us now. And clearly, we're going to have some moments in life where the first question that comes up is this, God, why is this happening? God, why is this happening? But see, because Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us, we learn because of that truth to fight through that question. We fight through that question. And we fight as fast as we can and we say, God, please hold my heart super tight right now. God, please help me see all of this in some way through your eternal eyes. God, please help me see that whether I'm eating or drinking or whether I'm suffering or whether I'm angry or whether I'm afraid or whether I'm worried, help me fight through all of those things so that I might do something that might bring attention to your name. And God, would you help me to remember Jesus right now in the middle of my question, God, why is this happening? God, in that question, help me remember Jesus because he suffered so much more than what I'm suffering now for my sin, and he was innocent. See, we fight through the question. We, look, don't, don't beat yourself up with the question, all right? It's going to happen. God, God, why is this happening? But as believers, but because of the gospel, what happens is we, we just fight through that. We learn what it means to, to trust in the Lord. 
But you know, trusting in God is, is more than just memorizing some Bible verses or, or having some catchy, you know, quotes on index cards on our bathroom mirror. It's, it's more than that. It, it involves energy. It involves effort. It, it involves emotion. We talked about this last week. I'll, I'll just kind of repeat it briefly. I mean, what, what would happen in our lives if we gave our walk with Jesus like 4% of what we gave our favorite team yesterday? Man, what would happen? What would happen if the one who sits on yonder throne, who sent his son to rescue and save us, what if he got just 4% of the energy and the effort and the emotion that we gave our favorite teams this week? Trusting the Lord takes a lot. And look, we're still going to doubt, okay? It's, it's still going to happen. But the goal for us is to keep fighting in such a way that we sound like that father that brought his son to Jesus. And remember what he said? He said, Jesus, I believe. I, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm, I'm here today, Jesus, because I believe in you, but, but I've got these issues of unbelief. Would you help my unbelief? It's not that we want to ask the question, God, why is it happening? But we fight through it and say, oh, God, would you help my unbelief in you in this moment? James goes on to say this about always talking to God with, with doubt. James 1, 7 and 8. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's a whole other kind of double-double, right? Now, now we got double-minded. What does this look like in real life? Well, it, it usually looks kind of like when we get angry or frustrated with God. You know, we, we get angry at God because something's not happening the way we thought it was supposed to happen. We're not getting the answer that we wanted to get. And usually when we get angry or frustrated with God, it's usually because of our sin. I mean, usually. Or... It's because we are just negative nannies about everything in the world, right? I mean, we're just constantly complaining about everything. We just we have no joy in our salvation, no joy in Jesus. And so we get angry or frustrated with God because things aren't happening the way we want them to happen. And sometimes we get angry and frustrated with God because we're hesitant to accept God's answer. It's not that there's not an answer. It's just that we won't accept it. One pastor put it this way. If a person has no real trust in God, it is doubtful that he would recognize any answer that came as being from God. That's, that's kind of a big deal, right? And if we get angry or frustrated with God, we're, we're like not in relationship with him. We're not going to accept any answer that he gives us until it's the one that we want. It's important to stay in relationship with God on the good days and the bad days. Now, asking God for stuff doesn't mean that you always get it. But James says, look, if you don't ask God, you're going to get what you deserve. Nothing. Because <laughs> he says you should ask. But he also says you should ask in faith. You should ask things like God is God. You know, I'm, I'm praying to God because he's God. I'm not just praying to God because, you know, I think he's going to give me a pinata for my birthday. No, I'm praying to God because he's God. He's holy, holy, holy. He's awesome, awesome, awesome. So I'm, I'm praying to God with faith. And if we don't pray to God in that way, well, you know, James says, don't, 
don't worry about getting anything then either because, you know, you're, you're just a doubting person. You're, you're unstable. Doubting and unstable. Double-minded. What does that mean? Well, it's almost like you got two souls. You got, you got one soul that loves God. But then you have this other soul that loves the world. And man, you are flip-flopping all the time between those two worlds. You are very quick to trust in the ways of the world, some of them good and noble. But you are also really quick to trust in the ways of God. Oh, God's ways are old. It's 2018. Those things don't apply anymore. He doesn't understand how things work in my company. And so we're quick to kind of run to the ways of the world, but we're, we're also quick to, to just ignore. We, we hesitate running to the ways of God. We're doing things God's way one minute, and then we do things our way the next minute. I think we've said this before, that, that being double-minded like this is kind of like taking the Bible for a test drive, you know? It's like, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to kick the tires, you know? Take it for a ride around town. If I see something I like, I, I might make an offer. <laughs> but that's not how it works, right? I mean, that, that's never how Jesus ever taught. Jesus never said, I will accept you into my heaven as long as you make the Christmas Eve service. That, that's good enough for me. That'll cover everything. No, Jesus never spoke that way. This is what Jesus said, Luke 9, 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone wishes to be a Christian, if anyone's going to claim to be a professor of Christianity, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. To follow after Christ is a a total and complete commitment. You follow him on the good days and the bad days. You follow him on the terrific days and the terrible days. There is no other call that he's ever given us to have. Any other call is flop. That doesn't mean we're not going to, to fail or, or do the wrong thing or sin. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying, what's the drive? What's the passion of your life? Or as we asked last week, do you lean toward God? Is there a lean in your life toward God? Or, do, or does God not cross your mind until you get here on Sunday? King David is calling us to not be double-minded. He's calling us to double up on a double-double. He's saying commit to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Own these things. Hang in there. Do this. And then he says this in verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Huh. What does that mean? What's God going to do? Well, God's going to do what's best. What's best? I don't know. And guess what? You don't know. But God does. Because he is perfect. He's perfect. Fanny Crosby was struck with blindness when she was just six weeks old. She was blind her whole life. She wrote some of our uh, most beloved hymns in the Christian faith. She was asked one time if she was bitter about being blind. And this was her response. Thanks to my blindness, the first thing I'll see is the face of my beloved Savior welcoming me to his heaven. 
That's solid. First thing I will see is the face of Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm not bitter about being blind because the first thing I will see will be the most satisfying reality in the universe. That's someone who has learned that God's going to do it, no matter what it may be. These are the words of, of one of her hymns that we sing from time to time around here. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort. Here by faith in him to dwell. For I know what e'er befall me. Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whate'er befall me. Jesus doeth all things well. Let me just confess something for us, and I've said this before, but it's probably worth repeating. We sing that hymn every now and then, and when we get to that line, I mean, if you're in here singing, I mean, you know, if your hands are crossed and you're looking at the ceiling, okay, this doesn't apply to you, but, you know, if we're singing or attempting to sing, then we sing that line. And if we're honest... As believers, sometimes we think it's a lie. At least we live like it's a lie. Because we look at the problems with our spouse or our kids or our health or our nation or the world, and we go, no, Jesus does not do all things well. Because there's too much sin, there's too much craziness, and this problem is not fixed. So we sing things like that, but we don't, we don't always believe it. But see, I think that's exactly why King David writes stuff like this. He's like, oh, you're going to have a day where you don't feel Jesus the way you need to feel Jesus. You're going to have a day where the gospel is that thing Dow talks about on Sunday, but it doesn't have a place in this hospital room, and it doesn't have a place in this argument in my family, and it doesn't have a place in the tragedy or the disaster in the world. And in your mind and your heart, they're going to tell you that. And so David is saying, hey, you know what, before that day comes today, you know, September 30th, just go ahead and own this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust your way. Roll it all on the Lord. So when that moment comes, you've got something to fight with. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in the Lord because he does all things well. But, but you may still say, yeah, but you don't know what's happening in my life right now. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm facing. There's no way that I can believe that God does all things well. Five years ago, a student at North Greenville University died in a hiking accident. I found out just this morning that, that Kevin was friends with him. His name was Brent Elrod. About a week after Brent died, his girlfriend wrote something on social media, a, a response to what she experienced. And I, I'm just going to read a portion um, of what she wrote. Her name uh, was, five years ago, Nellen Hughes. This is what she said. 
Right around this time, one week ago today, I experienced the most tragic loss I've ever experienced in my life. I found the love of my life at the bottom of a waterfall, dead. Words do not begin to describe the emotions I felt that day and have felt every day since then. In that moment on the mountain, my life was changed forever. As I sit and reflect on my life since Thursday night, I am left completely speechless. I have never felt such an outpouring of love from the church before in my life. From the moment I found Brent and every minute since then, I have yet to feel alone in the midst of this tragedy. Every day since his death, there has been something to celebrate and hundreds of opportunities to thank my king for all he is doing and will continue to do through the life and death of my sweet man. Brent made it his goal every day of our relationship to encourage me, challenge me, build me up, and make sure I knew who I was in Christ. Let me just stop for a second. That's the only reason this church exists, is to glorify God and help you continually find who you are in Christ. That's, that's why we're here. It's what we do. And she said this, for the first time in my life, I know who I am. I have confidence I never knew existed, and I thank Brent for that. He relentlessly pursued me through his love for Christ and God, used Brent to heal many areas of my life and allow me to finally see myself the way Christ does. And she says this, I know I may never understand why Brent and I fell in love just to have to say goodbye, but I do know that my God is still king and he is still on his throne. With each day, some things are easier while others are harder. I know this pain will not go away overnight and could take years to deal with, but there is no way I would be able to write this with such joy in my heart without Christ. I do not know what my future holds, but I will wake up every day thankful for Brent's life and for another day that I get to serve my king. College student. Worst day of her life finds her boyfriend dead at a waterfall and uses words like joy still in her life. That math doesn't make sense. I mean, is she, is she just some crazy religious lunatic? Is she just still wrapped up with shock and, and she's just not really grasping what had happened in that moment? No. She was a young woman that before she got to the waterfall that day committed her way to the Lord. Before that day, she trusted in the Lord. And because of that double-double in her life, when the day that changed her life forever happened, a week later, she's still saying, I have never felt alone. 
only God is qualified to do that. He was, he is, and he is to come. Therefore, when we commit to him, when we trust in him, he says to us, I will never leave you alone.